and good morning. Great looking group this morning. I want to welcome everyone here today. Those of you who are visiting with us, we want to welcome you as well. Just know you're our honored guest. We are so glad and so blessed to have you here today. We also want to welcome those of you who are joining us live online. We're just glad to have you a part of our worship as well. Some of you may be wondering what the bags are about. Debbie King has put all this together to help feed our, com our community through the mission and through the congregation here at Central. You guys have brought food that will be passed out to those in need. And so thank you so much, Debbie. Thank you so much for organizing that and, and working with the mission through that. We're going to be doing this. If you missed it today, we're going to be doing this every first Sunday of the month. So you'll have plenty of opportunities throughout the year if you want to collect food and, and bring it to help our community. All right, well, as you guys can see, right now we're in a series entitled, What's Next? And what we've been talking about in this series is the afterlife. Several of you have probably been mulling over in your mind what the afterlife is like. You know, is heaven and hell really a real place? And do real people actually go to those places? And, and what are those places like? And, and so those are just a few of the things that we're discussing in this series. Now, if you've missed any of the lessons in this series, just know you can always go back to our church Facebook page. We also have a church website where you can watch any of these lessons as well. We also have a church podcast. So for those of you who download the app as you're driving down the road, you can listen to these lessons as you're going to work or, or wherever you're going. But we want to encourage you to go back and listen to any of the lessons that you've missed. Today, we're going to go ahead and address a question that a lot of people have, and that is, what happens right after we die. What happens? Do, do we go into some sort of soul sleep? Or are we conscious and aware of our surroundings and everything that's going on? Well, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter, or Luke chapter 16, rather. And we're going to start reading in verse 19. Jesus tells a very interesting story which I think answers those questions and many more about what happens next. He says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Okay, so Jesus begins his story talking about a wealthy man who is absolutely living the highlight. I, I mean, I, I just imagine him living in a mansion, and he is wearing the best clothes, and he is eating the finest food. In fact, the Bible literally says that he lived in luxury Every single day. I, I think if this guy was here today, he would probably be one of the people who were featured in the Forbes billionaire list. He was extremely wealthy. Well, Jesus isn't done. He goes on to talk about another guy. And this guy actually lives outside of the rich man's estate. Look at verse 20. He says, At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. And Lazarus, he was covered in sores, 
And he longed to eat what fell from the rich man's tables. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. And, and, and so now you began to read about this guy who lived in the same city as the rich man. But, but Lazarus isn't, isn't rich. He's extremely poor. In fact, it says that he just longed to eat the crumbs or the food that fell from the rich man's table. You see, during that day and time, people would eat with their hands. And if you were really wealthy, what you would do is you would take hunks of bread and you would use that bread, kind of like a wet wipe today, to, to wipe the dirt off of your hands. And, and you can imagine the crumbs that would fall onto the table and onto the floor. Well, Lazarus longed just to have some of those crumbs. Right, Just to have this bread that the rich man was going to throw out. He was that poor. He was so poor that he couldn't even afford a doctor. I mean, his body, the Bible says, is just, it's just deteriorating. He's, he's covered in sores. And the dogs from the city, they would come. And I, I know this is hard to stomach, but the dogs would come from the city and they would lick his sores. And they would lick his, his open wounds. Lazarus was looking for help. That's why he stayed outside the rich man's estate. But as we read this story that Jesus tells, we, we don't see any indication of help coming from the rich man. Now, understand that the listeners of this story, they have no idea where Jesus is going with this. Right? And, and all of a sudden, Jesus, after he talks about these two different individuals, he then hits them with the punchline that many of them probably weren't expecting, and that is the rich man and Lazarus, the poor man, they both die. And so just look at verse 22. It says, The time came when the beggar, that's Lazarus died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Well, the rich man also died and was buried. And, and so notice, even with all, with all his wealth, this extremely wealthy man could not avoid death. They both died. They both were buried. And they both had to face what awaited them on the other side. Now, now, don't miss the point that I think Jesus is really trying to drive home here, and it's this. If Jesus doesn't come back first, here's the deal. We're all going to die. In fact, three people die every second. 11,000 people die every hour. Some people die as babies. Some people die in their prime. Then you have other people who don't die until they're well over 100. But here's the deal. The death rate is still hovering somewhere over 100%. Okay? But a lot of people don't live like it. A lot of people, they, they live like they're invincible. And yet the Hebrew writer tells us very clearly in Hebrews chapter 
9, verse 27, that we are destined to die. That we all, some of your translations may say, we all have an appointment with death. And, and as you look back to the words of one of the wisest men who ever lived, this is what Solomon writes. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 4, a wise person thinks about what, church? Thinks about death, but a foolish person thinks only about what? About having a good time. Right? There are some people who, who really don't give thought to this, this type of stuff. They, they feel like, you know, I'm, in, I'm invincible. You know, I'm, I'm young. I, I don't have to deal with this. I don't have to worry about this right now. But Jesus makes it clear. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're wealthy or whether you're poor. Jesus doesn't come first. That's our destiny for, for all of us. We all have to die. We'll slate what happens right after we die. Well, I think Jesus very clearly teaches us three things in this story that he tells. First of all, right after, right after we die, we will be awake. In this story, both the rich man and Lazarus, they, they both woke up on the other side immediately. There was no delay. I think about the words of Jesus to the criminal on the cross in Luke 23, verse 43. He said, what church? Today you will be with me in paradise. Not tomorrow, not someday, but when? But today when we die, our spirit immediately goes to the other side. There is no time delay. And we will be wide awake. We will be conscious and we will be filled with tremendous gratitude and joy or enormous regret. Notice the stunning reversal for the rich man and Lazarus in the story right after they die. Starting in verse 22 again. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham from far away and Lazarus by his side. So he called out to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Now before you draw the wrong conclusion, I want to point out that all this wealth that the rich man had in his life was not the problem. He wasn't sent to this place of, of torment because he was rich. In fact, we see in this story another rich man, which is Abraham. He was one of the richest men in the Old Testament. And he was on the other side. He was in paradise. His wealth didn't keep him out of heaven. And the rich man's wealth didn't keep him out of heaven. You say, well, what did? Well, if you back up in that same chapter, Luke chapter 16, Jesus is talking about handling wealth and, and handling our finances. And in Luke chapter 16, verse 9, he says, look, he says, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to what, church? To benefit others. Give to others. Share with others and make friends. Then, when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to a what, church? 
to an eternal home, right? So, so share your wealth. You know, be like a river that flows, sharing those blessings, passing on the blessings that God has blessed you and me with. But as we look at the story of Luke 16 that Jesus tells, we don't see anything like that. We don't see the rich man thinking about anyone else, really, except for himself. Which reminds me of another story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 12. You remember the, the story of the rich man who had the barns? And, and he had such a huge harvest one year that he was like, man, I, I don't know what to do. I, I've got more than, than my barns can hold. And, and instead of thinking of others, instead of blessing others, he says, you know what? I know what I'll do. I'll tear down those barns and I'll, bigger, I'll build bigger barns so that I can, store, I can store more stuff for me. You know what God says? God says, your life will be taken from you this very night. And he dies. And at the end of the story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 12, this is what he says, verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for who, church? For themselves, but is not rich towards God. And, and see, as we read Luke chapter 16, we don't see any evidence of the rich man helping Lazarus or, or helping anyone or thinking about anyone for that, that matter, even though he was so wealthy and rich. Going back to Luke chapter 16, Jesus continues, backing up to verse 13. Jesus also points out, he says, No one can serve what, church? Two masters, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he just gets very, he, he just gets very accurate right here in, in telling us exactly what he's talking about. He says, you cannot serve both God and what, church? And money. What we see in this story is a man who traded his love for God or a love for money. It wasn't the money that kept him out of heaven. It was his love for money. It was the dam that he had built between himself and others with the blessings that God had blessed him with. Mark chapter 8, verses 36 through 37, Jesus says... And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Listen, where we wake up in eternity will fill us either with tremendous gratitude and joy or enormous regret after we die. There won't be any middle ground. You know, last week we talked about hell and, and what hell is like. Well, this is the only passage in the Bible that gives us the thoughts and the emotions of a person who is in spiritual torment. Look at what the rich man says, Luke chapter 16, verse 24. He says, I am in what, church? I am in agony in this fire. Right after he dies, the rich man who was never responsive to the activity of God in his life, is filled with enormous regret. But there's no going back. His eternity is sealed. It's irreversible. And so he begs for help. And watch the response. 
starting in verse 25. He's asking for help, and Abraham replies, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things. Now, he is in comfort here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from here to us. Notice, no help comes for the rich man. Can you imagine the regret? He had all that time to seek God and, and to get his, his life right with God, but he didn't. And, and now this is irreversible and there's, there's no help for, for him. But can you imagine the gratitude and, and the joy of Lazarus? I mean, his life had been so hard on this earth. But because he sought God, because of God's amazing grace, Lazarus is being comforted. Lazarus' experience is much different. Which reminds me of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. He says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. You know, a lot of people have a lot of questions about heaven and, and what heaven is like. And Lord willing, we're going to talk about some of those questions next week to kind of wrap up this series. But let me go ahead and touch on just a few things this morning. First of all, a lot of people want to know, will we have bodies in heaven? And, and the Bible says yes. Uh, in fact, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to look first of all at verses 1 through 4. Paul says, For we know that when this earthly tent that we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house where? In heaven, an eternal what? Body made for us by God Himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our white church, our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and we sigh, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up in life. Notice what Paul says. We will not be spirits without bodies. Bodies. We will have heavenly bodies. Now, Paul goes into a little bit more detail in his previous letter to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42 through 44. He says, it is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to what, church? To live forever. These bodies that die, that go in the ground, he says they're going to be raised to live forever, which raises another question for a lot of people. Well, what if those bodies are deteriorated? Right? I mean, when, when we are buried, I mean, most of us know we, 
we deteriorate, we start to decay, and I'm not trying to be gross. And, and some of you may say, well, well, what about our bodies that may be cremated or, or someone who's burned up in a fire? Listen to me this morning, trust God. If God can create Adam from the dust of the earth, let me tell you something, God can create a resurrected body from the dust of the earth as well. And so you just put your faith and, and your trust in God and He'll deal with the rest. He says, our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies, for just as there are natural bodies, there are spiritual bodies. Now, some of you may say, well, Slate, what are these bodies going to be like? I mean, that, that's pretty exciting, right? Some of you are like, hey, listen, man, I, I, I'm looking forward to a new body, right? Uh, what, what are we talking about here? Well, if you look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, this is what John writes, and this is probably going to disappoint some of you. He says, what we will be has, what church? Has not yet been, been made known. We, we have no idea, okay, what these resurrect, resurrected bodies are really going to be like. All we know is this. He says, we know that when Christ appears, we shall what? We shall be like Him. I think about after Jesus resurrected, he appeared before his disciples and he shows them the scars in his hands and, and in his side. But here's the thing, his body was different, right? He was walking through doors without opening them. In, in Acts chapter 1, he ascends into heaven as his disciples look on. In other words, he has this improved body. Paul describes it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through, through 57. He says, we will be transformed. Now, some of you may say, well, Slate, you're talking about new bodies and, and being transformed. Will people recognize me in heaven? Will, will people know that, that it's me? And, and I believe the answer to that is very clear in Scripture, yes. I mean, you look back just at Luke chapter 16, and you'll notice that the rich man knew Lazarus, right? And the rich man knew Abraham, and Abraham knew the rich man. And then in Matthew chapter 8, verse 11, you have Jesus saying, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast with who, church? With Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where? In the kingdom of heaven. Notice, in the kingdom of heaven, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they maintained their identity. I've got to be honest with you, I hope people know that I'm there. So that the naysayers will realize they were wrong about me. I made it into heaven. Listen, after we die, we will be wide awake and we will either be filled with gratitude and joy or enormous regret. And then thirdly, we will reflect on our lives on earth with crystal clarity. 
After we die, we will remember what mattered most in our lifetime. Look back to the story, Luke chapter 16, verses 27 through 28. He, that's the rich man, answered, Then I beg you, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Notice the urgency in his voice now. For the first time in our story, the rich man is now showing interest in someone else besides himself. Just a few minutes of spiritual torment turned this non-believer into an evangelist. He says, someone has got to go tell my family that hell is real and real people go there. Listen, pull out all the stops. Do whatever you've got to do, but go to my family. Keep them from coming to this terrible place. You see, in life, he didn't care anything about anything but himself. But after he dies, he now has crystal clarity of what matters most. And it wasn't money. It wasn't his house. It wasn't a car. It wasn't the food or the clothing that he wore. It wasn't his, his business. It was people. Because here's the deal. People are the only thing that lasts forever. Immediately after we pass from here to there, it's going to be crystal clear what really matters on this side. And here's my greatest fear. Far too many people one day will say, why didn't I respond to Jesus in this life while I had the opportunity? It may be that some of you one day will, will reflect on this very moment where you had an opportunity to give your life to Jesus, but you didn't. Listen, I want to draw this sermon to a conclusion today in the same way Peter ended the first gospel sermon. After the people were convicted of their sin and saw their need for Jesus, the Bible says that they were cut to the heart and they asked Peter, what do we do now? And this is what Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. He says, repent and be baptized. Who, church? Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Every one of you, every single one of us has an opportunity to give our lives to Jesus. And well, notice what happens next. Verse 41, how the people responded after Peter told them that. Those who accepted his message were what, church? Were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number when? That day. Isn't that interesting? That, that very day after they heard the message about Jesus, they were baptized. You, you may be thinking, well, well Slate, I, I don't know about baptism. I don't know everything there is to know yet about being a Christian. And, and I don't know all the answers to the things that I see in the Bible. Listen, this was spontaneous. After they heard the message of Jesus, they were baptized. You 
if we're not careful, we can take the meaning of baptism and we can make it a whole lot less important than it was to Jesus. I guess you could say that if we're not careful, we can be tempted to water it down. Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, verse 16, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. In Matthew chapter 28, of all the things that Jesus could have said before He left His disciples on this earth, all the things that He needed them to remember, all the things that He wanted them to know, this is what Jesus said before He ascended. Matthew 28 verse 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, what church? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. How many of you would say that baptism was important to Jesus? And so let me ask you this morning, what's stopping you from being baptized today? Some of you may say, well, well Slate, isn't there, isn't there some sort of training class that I need to go through first? Look back to Acts 2.41. They did it that day. They did it, they did it spontaneously. You see, baptism is a response of obedience. In Acts chapter 8, we see that Philip is studying with a very important Ethiopian official. They're in his chariot, and they're out in the wilderness. And in verse 36, it says, As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? Now, all we're told in the previous verses is that Philip preached Jesus to him. And so in preaching Jesus, evidently he preached baptism. And as they came to the water, it says, And he gave the orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Some of you may say, well, well Slade, I, man, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to do something like that in, in front of all these people. I'm kind of a shy person. Listen, we'll wait till everybody clears out, and, and it can be just you and me. You say, well, it's like, you know, I'm not really prepared. I didn't bring any clothes. We've got clothes back here for you. So, so don't let that keep you from, from doing it. Well, Slate, I don't know. L listen, if you want the same old, same old life, just keep on doing the same old usual stuff. But if you want a brand new life and a new beginning, if you want to know with assurance where you will be after you die, then why not say yes to Jesus today? Why not make a change now and forever? Some of you, maybe you were baptized as a baby and, and it wasn't your decision. Someone made that decision for you. It may be that today you need to make that decision yourself and say, man, I want to commit my life to Jesus. Listen, don't live with regret. This is your opportunity. And some of you know right now that God is calling out to you. You can feel it in your heart, and I believe that that is the Holy Spirit of God moving you. And it's not an emotional manipulation. It is the presence of God drawing you and calling you right now to give your life to Jesus. Don't live with regret. Again, live with the assurance that you know where you're going and who you're going to be with 
invitation's yours this morning. If you need to come forward, if you want to be baptized, or if you want to talk to me today about doing that at a later time um, this afternoon, I'd love to tell you more about baptism and giving your life to Jesus, believing He is the Son of God who died for our sins. If, if, if you want to come forward this morning for prayers, if you're a struggling Christian and there's something you need to repent of, and you can do that as well. Together we stand.